and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. This evening we will finish up our study of the book of Ephesians. Um, I'm confident of that because we only have about five verses in there that we haven't handled yet. But we'll handle those, and then I have something I'd like to share that relates to the book of Ephesians once we get through this. We left off looking at the section of Ephesians that talks about putting on the whole armor of God, being strong in the Lord because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And in order to do that, in order to fight in this spiritual battle, we need to have on our armor. Um, I don't think if you had been a soldier in Rome, we'll say, back at this time, that if you were going to go into battle, that you would want to go in there without your sword or without your shield or without any armor. You know, you've seen those movies. Would you like to be in the middle of that melee without any kind of protection whatsoever? No. You probably wouldn't want to be in a war now without a helmet and your gun and everything that's needed for that, right? Yeah. So it makes no more sense to go out into this spiritual battle without having our armor. To go out defenseless. And... I often want to make the point with people that all of this is just not optional equipment. The manifestations, the the sword of the Spirit, believing, the breastplate of righteousness. This isn't like we can get through life has more than conquerors without this. We need it. That's why God gave it to us. God gave us all of these things because we need them to live victoriously. If we're going to really be more than conquerors in every situation, if we're going to walk with the power that is ours, has, you know, part of the one body with Christ in us, if we're going to do that, we have to put on that armor. And after going through all of the specifics of that, in verse 19, then it comes down to, well, verse 18, we'll, we'll start it. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. After going through the things that we're to put on, then the sort of the tail end of that is praying always. Praying always. It makes me think of that great man of God, George Mueller. Um, If you're not familiar with George Mueller, boy, you should learn about him. Um, And I've got the time. I'll talk for a minute briefly about George Mueller. George Mueller lived in the 18... He lived a long time, so he covers a lot of the 1800s all the way into the 1900s. I forget what year he was born, but uh, he basically lived through, you know, the Victorian era. And 
If you don't know George Mueller, you probably, from shows, movies, having read the, the play, whatever, um, familiar with the story of Oliver Twist and other Charles Dickens novels that made known the plight of the orphans in London. And, I, you know, I'm tempted to go into all the detail of that. Um, if, if you really want to know the detail, read the foreword that I wrote in the book, one of George Mueller's books that we did. Um, it really goes into great detail on it. And it's fascinating detail about how bad it was. It was just a terrible time for kids. It was a terrible time for kids. I, I forget the statistics, but the number of, of orphans living on the street was just unbelievable. Just unbelievable. And kids, this was before they had the you know, child labor laws and so forth, and kids were working at McKenzie's age in mines and in factories like 12 hours a day. Can you imagine her sitting at a sewing machine 12 hours a day? And that's what they were doing just to, to survive. Uh, it, it was just a terrible situation. And there were so many orphans just living on the streets. And, you know, that, again, that plight was made known to most of the world by Dickens. But the man who really did something about it was George Mueller. He lived in Bristol, England. And he decided that he was going to believe God to do something about this situation. And he did it for two reasons. One, because he genuinely, honestly cared and was concerned about what was going on with these poor kids. But number two, because he wanted some tangible proof, was, was his words, to show God's people that God really can answer prayer. And so he, starting off with just a handful of these kids in, in just, you know, whatever house, he started taking care of them, and he never asked anyone for anything. He never, you know, published it in the newspaper, never went around from church to church, taking up collections. He just prayed. He just prayed and prayed for God to supply all that they needed to take care of these orphans. And it went from a handful to, at their, at their peak, I think they were caring for 2,000 orphans at a time, there are thousands, I can't remember how many thousands of orphans that, that came out of these orphanages that kept on, obviously ended up with more than just a house. They, you know, believed to build, get these buildings and, and so forth. And not only taking care of the orphans there, but also then they made schools, built schools for all over London for kids that weren't orphans, but had, you know, some, needed some kind of education. Um, all of this just by prayer. And, you know, there's a lot of great stories there. The one that comes to my mind off the top of my head is, is the one where they got news. There was, this was told by one of the men that wrote a, a biography on him. I forget that guy's name off the top of my head. But, but he writes about it in the biography did that he was there on this occasion when word came to Mueller that they had no food to feed the kids the next morning. And Mueller said, well, we just need to pray about this. So <clears throat> he prayed and went to bed. And the guy was like, 
that's all you're going to do? <laughs> you know, you're not going to like, what's going to happen in the morning? And Mueller was like, it's covered. God's got it. And that next morning, sure enough, like five minutes before it was time to feed all the kids, trucks pulled up with food for everybody. And it was just typical of how things were operated because he prayed. Mueller said that the great fault of Christians is they just don't keep praying. Here it says, praying always, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Supplication means specific, making specific requests. Mm -hmm. We're to pray always. You know, if you've got a need, pray. And keep praying about it until that need's met. You know, every day, just pray. Pray and keep expecting. Expect for it to get there. You know, here it says, in, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We can pray with our understanding and we can pray in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about that. And what's the difference? Well, praying in the Spirit is speaking in tongues. Praying with our understanding is praying with our understanding. That I don't suppose I have to define for you. Both are important to do. When we pray in the Spirit, our mind's not affected. Our understanding is not affected. When we pray just, you know, like I am speaking now, then obviously our mind is. And there's a benefit to that. There's a benefit to that. When I'm praying... God, like we did at the beginning of the meeting, we prayed and people prayed for things, like we prayed for Jerry, you know. Well, then that's something that we're all focused on. We know what we're praying for. We can focus on it and we can believe together. And many times in prayer, it's how we help get our believing up to that point. You know, where I'm where I'd like to go, and since I'm spending so much time on this, now I'm wondering if I'd get all to these places. But I'd like to show you some of the places in Philippians that relate to some of these places in Ephesians because Philippians corrects the practical error that crept in the church from not adhering to the revelation given in the epistle to the Ephesians. Hmm. So if you want to understand Ephesians more, you could study Philippians. You can read Philippians, and as you're reading it, think about what part of Ephesians does this relate back to? If this is correcting practical error from not following Ephesians, then when you read something like, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now that's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. But you see how that relates back to here, praying always with all prayer and supplication? That's what we do. We pray. And as we pray when we're anxious, okay, careful means anxious, stressed, you know, stressed out in, in today's language. When you find yourself worried, if you find yourself stressed out, then the thing to do is to pray, to pray. With thanksgiving, making that request known unto God. And then the practical effect, the immediate effect of that, when you really pray and give it to God, is that peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep or guard your hearts and minds. And you want to do that because your heart is where believing comes from, and believing is necessary to 
with prayer to get those kind of results. You know, it was the believing that went with that prayer. You know, I can tell so many great stories. I won't get through these even a few verses of Ephesians. If I keep talking, maybe afterwards I can share some more. Verse 19. And for me, he's asking for them to pray for him, Paul, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. See, it's still about the mystery. And here he's asking them to pray so that he can boldly open his mouth to make known that mystery of the gospel, for which, that mystery of the gospel, I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He was an ambassador in bonds, and that was literally true. He was in jail. He was in prison for, not because he was knocking over banks or, you know, going around beating people up or anything like that. He was in prison for speaking the word. Now, it's things like this when I read something like that, that I just stand in such amazement of the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. What is he asking them to pray for? Now, if you were in prison, what would you be asking people to pray for? <laughs> get me out of here. <laughs> pray that I get out of here. Pray that my trial goes good. Pray that they feed me better tasting food. You know, you'd be praying. I would ask people to pray for those things. But that's not what he asked. He asked people to pray so that he can boldly speak the word, that he can do again what got him there in the first place. That's his prayer. I, it's just amazing. It's amazing. You know, <laughs> if you ever think, oh, you know, it's a, I have a tough trying to help people, and you know, people are sometimes not all that appreciative of you speaking the word. Man, just stop and think about Paul here. And, you, you know, you won't feel so sorry for yourself, I'll tell you. <laughs> Paul prayed for more boldness to speak the word because that's what his life was about. And what he cared about was the mystery. You know, Paul was very focused on the hope of, of Christ's return and the life, his citizenship in heaven, the life that was coming. You know, if, if Christians today were, you know, has focused on the things not seen as they are on the things that are seen, they'd be a lot better off. Paul wasn't focused on the things that were seen. He was focused on the things that were not seen. He knew that he had been given a ministry. He pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. He knew that a, a, an administration, this administration of the mystery had been committed in his trust, that he had a job to do, and that's what was important. You know, it was so completely his life. It was so completely his life. It is Philippians also, where Paul talks about that the only thing he really cared about was the furtherance of the gospel. And whether he lived or died, you know, it was 
all about for him what's going to move the word better. <laughs> what would be better for the furtherance of the gospel? His own personal choice that he expresses there is that he'd rather be gathered together. He'd rather the Lord returned. But in terms of, of thinking of you know, whether to live or to die, the thing that he thought about was what would better serve the movement of the word. Would him still moving in himself be better? Or if he, if he died and people got you know, more committed because of that, would that be better? Well, verse 21. But that ye also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. This past, was it this past Thursday? that we covered this stuff about fellow laborers? Uh, two Thursdays. Two Thursdays yeah. ago. Somehow my mind's like a week out of sync here. Um, so we did our, our leadership training meeting a couple Thursdays ago, and we got into the fellow laborers that Paul talks about, like Tychicus here. Mm-hmm. And you really see when you stop and notice things like that, you know, these verses that a lot of times people just sort of read over. You notice how much that work that he was doing, this movement of the word, this, you know, seeing the mystery live, how much it was a team activity, how much it took a group of people. Yes, we talk and we focus so often about Paul, but Paul didn't do it by himself. He had these wonderful committed believers like Tychicus, like Timothy, like Silas, like Epaphras and Epaphroditus and Barnabas and si- I said si- all these guys, Aquila and Priscilla. He had all these people who helped. And these people were people that were committed like he was. Timothy in particular, he says, is you know, equally sold, was equally sold. A lot of people, they weren't quite as committed as Timothy, but they all contributed to doing it. God needs everybody to carry out that work. It's not like, you know, well, you're the guy teaching, so that's your job, or it's somebody else over here, or somebody there, or this guy in this church. He needs everybody. He needs everybody to, to, to do what he's called them to do. Now, we haven't all been called to do what the Apostle Paul was called to do, but we've all been called to be ambassadors. We've all been called to make known the word. We've all been called to help people. We've all been called to reconcile men back to God. That's a high calling. It's a privilege. It's a joy. To know that you can give to somebody eternal life. What an incredible thing to do. You know, it'd be pretty cool if you were well, Jerry just had, you know, our, our brother Jerry, who's not here, just had heart surgery, open heart surgery. You know, and it seems like they fixed and replaced everything that there was in there. I'm not sure what all they did, but they, they did a whole lot. Now, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be like an incredibly sad, wouldn't you think at least that it'd be an incredibly satisfying thing to be able to do for somebody? Somebody who you know, if you didn't do what you did for them, they wouldn't have been still around in a, maybe a week even. 
certainly not in a year. That'd be an incredible thing to be able to give somebody kind of a new lease on life. What about eternal life? What about, think about that. Think about that, the reality of that. To be able to give somebody everlasting life because you share God's word with them. That's, what, that's the privilege that is ours. Well, I also like in that verse, in verse 22, that he might know our, you might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. You know, talk about Paul being unselfish. There he is in that situation, and his concern is that their hearts are comforted. That they're not worried about him. He's sat in Tychicus to let everybody know, yeah, he really is, he's okay, you know. Yeah, he's in jail, but it's, it's under house arrest, and he can have people come in and talk to him, and he can share the word with them. And man, you know, you know that guy on Onesimus, how do you say this, Onesimus? Onesimus. You know that guy Onesimus who, who's over there in Colossae? You know, he, was, he got born again because he happened to end up in prison with Paul. So that's the kind of thing Tychicus is doing, telling them how Paul's doing and comforting their hearts and letting them know that no matter what happens, even when things look bad, God's still there. God's still helping you. God's still right there making things the best for you. Well, it closes out then with, in verse 23. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. It began, this epistle began with grace and peace, and it ends with grace and peace and love. And all the church epistles begin with grace and peace, and they all end with love being tossed in there too. And how wonderful that is, that we have that divine favor. All those that love the Lord Jesus Christ have God's grace, God's divine favor in their lives. That's Ephesians. We have a few minutes. Let's go to Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And it goes on. Here it's talking about this mind of Christ, and that we're to have that mind of Christ. Now, do we, are we able to get that physical brain? Is that what it's talking about? No. The word mind comes from the Greek word phronema, which means thoughts. Mm -hmm. We're to have the same thoughts as Jesus Christ. We're to put on that mind of Christ. We're to think like he thought. Can you think of what section in Ephesians, or a section of Ephesians, that this would relate to? Ephesians 4, what about putting on, put on the new man? Yep, put on the new man, put off the old. If you're going to put on the new, we have to have the mind of Christ. <clears throat> so this relates directly to that. It also relates to us being 
allowing Jesus Christ to be the head of the body. Because the way that happens, as we looked at it back then, is it happens when the individual believers are walking with him. And when they're walking with him and walking according to the order that God set in the church, then Christ is the head. It's not mystical. It's practical. When we put on that mind of Christ, when we walk in his steps, that's how we're following him and how we are following him as the head. We already talked about Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6. We'll go one other place in chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm, yeah, Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Sure, I would confuse somebody out there. Philippians chapter 4. Uh, you know what, we'll stop off first at 2.13. Yeah, Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Remember in Ephesians 3, when it talked about being filled with all the fullness of God? Here it talks about God working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. This relates directly to it. Now you can go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The reason why we can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me is because of that mystery, that great mystery, and that we are God's habitation with God and Christ in us. In Verse 19, it says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It all comes back to that accomplished work of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Colossians. We'll just hit a couple of more. Colossians chapter 2. Now, look at we got to do chapter one first. Verse 25. Whereof I may minister according to the administration of God should be the text, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The riches of that great mystery, that great mystery that the Jew and Gentile would be one, that it would be one body, they'd be fellow heirs, and the riches of that is the Christ in you, the hope of glory. It relates directly back to Ephesians. Colossians chapter... Oh, let's go chapter 3, verse, well, just go real with a real obvious. Let's go with verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged and so forth. From there it goes into servants and masters. That one's pretty obvious, isn't it? Yes. 
And a lot of Colossians is very obvious of how it relates back to Ephesians and corrects the doctrinal error. But I encourage you when you are reading Philippians and Colossians to just stop and think about that. To stop and think about where in Ephesians does this relate to? Where does this come from? And in doing so, you'll understand Ephesians even better. All right. God bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.